<laughs> hey! <Yeah>. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. That's good. Thank you. So most of the time when I reach out to people, I get endless questions back. Like, how do we do it? What do I need? Uh, how, do, how does it work? And I'm like, man, I don't know if Joey is into this. He, he said he wants to do it, but he hasn't asked me anything. He's just like, yeah, okay. Like, it took us a minute to come up with a day and a time. Yeah. But then this morning I was like, hey, I just need you to click this link. You're not like, oh, what, do I need to download anything? And then you pop up. And you, you've got your mic set up, uh-huh. you've got your headphones on, you've got a good video quality, you even got like an office. Yeah. And it's like, got, oh, okay. So yeah, he's done this. He's done this before. Yeah. So. we've I've done this a few times. I have friends on another podcast that had invited me on and I said, yeah, I mean, I love doing these things. And then also having a chance to talk with friends and discuss, you know, whatever topic we're, we're going to discuss. So yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. You didn't even ask about that, <laughs> which I kind of, I don't come into these with a direction, mm-hmm. especially like, do you even, when's the last time that we talked? Was it 2000 or earlier? It would have been or later have, than that. Uh, was it? I think the last time I saw you in person would have been in Columbia and I was working okay. for the production company at that time. And I was, t- I had a bartending gig in the evenings. And so I would that go. Sounds familiar. Yeah. And we were playing, uh, there was a band playing behind El Burrito. And I was the bartender for that. Oh my God. <laughs> is, El, is El Burrito still there? No, they closed. It's gone. Okay. They probably, I think How they often? closed about 10 years ago, something like that. Yeah, that shows. Yeah, that shows how much I pay attention. Do you go <laughs> home often? Uh, I try to go back every every couple months, but I haven't been back this oh, year shit. since dis- November December because I was there for the holidays, and so uh, work okay. has been quite busy. And I am actually scheduled to be back in uh, the southeast uh, this Friday. Uh, we're doing a buying trip for work, so I'm going to be all in the Southeast. And of course I'm going to stop into the Columbia area and see family and everything. So your, your parents are still there. Yep. My mom, my mom and my dad both live in Columbia. So, so you got reasons. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. My entire family's there. So, all right. So I guess I got three reasons. I got the one that's just we're still in what mild contact because of social media. Oh yeah, of course. But we haven't talked in like 20 years, let's say. (laughs) Yeah. And then you're one of the few that moved to a big city. Yeah. Out of, out of Columbia, which is, I want to kind of get into that because your little group, most of, I hate to use the word kids, but like in my mind, right? <laughs> we're, we're still yeah. in high school yeah. when, I, when I talk to you, yep. went and did sh- cool shit with their lives. When I look at 
my closer group of friends, Mm -hmm. they just went and got jobs. Right. With like Pepsi or life insurance. Yeah. But like you and Chris and Jordan, like you guys did stuff. You guys did (laughs) in Hardy. Yeah. Especially like, I don't really know what happened to Will. I, he's just disappeared from any, do you keep in contact with Will? Uh, you're talking Will DeWitt. Yeah. 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 So I think Will don't quote me on this. Yeah. I think he went out to like Colorado and is, you know, living out there. That's, that's the best. I mean, that's the best. Okay. And and the only reason I, I might have any of that information is because of social media. Um, He was one of those that I guess just didn't jump on that bandwagon. Like a lot of people did. And so I think that he's just more or less off the grid in that way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He's one that kind of just disappeared. So there's something I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's not that weird to other people, but to me to see like this one group of people mm-hmm. all go out and actually do the shit that they want to yeah. do with their life yeah. is really rare. Oh, I would say that you get like 10 to be generous. Yeah. 10% of people are going to go and actually like, like, so Jordan moved to San Francisco or whatever. Mm-hmm. He was in LA. Yep. He's, he's got actual musical credits with actual bands. Yep. And I've reached out to him. He's been pretty busy, but eventually I'll get him on here too. Yeah. Hardy just became like this historian type, like, Everyone in Colombia knows him, but he also went to South America or some shit for a while. Uh-huh. He he went somewhere yeah. like yeah. weird for a long time. <laughs> and it's just really nice that somehow y'all all managed to do it. Maybe we can get into maybe you have any ideas why. But we can we can get into it now or we can leave it. Yeah, for... no, I think that when you get a group of people that are dreamers in that respect, and mind you, this is, you know, kids born out of the 80s going into the 90s. There was always that talk of like, chase your dreams and stuff like that. And I know for me personally, uh, my parents allowed me to kind of just explore my creative outlets and they allowed me to dream big in a number of different ways. And I think that in some ways, um, it definitely helped me. In other ways, it just kind of got in my way a few times. But I, um, let's see. Yeah, I, I mean, last time we saw each other, I was working for a production company. I'd landed what I thought was a dream job at that point. From there... <laughs> the you know the recession hit and it was really really tough for me and i had you know i went into retail for a good 15 years during that time i met my husband and he had the opportunity to come to new york on a internship and he says do you want to come with me i said absolutely there really wasn't a question in my mind but it was just a matter of facilitating 
a number of things logistically to get me up here. The job that I had, you know, to get a better paying job so I could, you know, support myself in New York would require me moving up. So I took over as like a store manager, finally used that to get to New York. And then I'm running a flagship and I did a good year, two years. You were years, with Express, um, right? With, with uh, Goodwill. Um, not ideal, oh. but I was running a flagship store in, in downtown Brooklyn, which, you know, it showed me a lot of what the city has to offer. And then just that, through making that... connections and everything and the prompting of my husband as well as you came here to do something. And one of those things I said, I was going to, I wanted to work in comics in some sort of fashion. I put in applications, rejection letter, rejection letter, trying to apply it like Marvel and DC and stuff like that. Anybody that had offices here in New York. And it was through connections here in New York that I had been telling them and developed friendships that a role opened up at the company that I'm with now, Midtown Comics. And they said they have a position that's open and we'd love to put your name in for it. I said, absolutely. And I just celebrated my one year anniversary with Midtown Comics May 9th of this year. That's awesome. Yeah. I am amazed when I see your posts. I imagine I work at a comic store or a distribution company that I'm just in some kind of like office and I'm packing orders (laughs) or there's a retail shop out front and maybe I go out there and help some people. Mm -hmm. But you're, I mean, you're doing the convention scene, but you're also like going around buying. Yeah. Yeah. That was something that they wanted. That sounds cool. Oh, it's, God, I love my job. Uh, and not many people can say that. <laughs> the position itself is Midtown is one of the largest retailers for comics in the United States. And there has been a big change in how our customer base is buying right now. A lot of it stems from some of it has it has to do with the pandemic. You know, people had funds to spend. They weren't going out, all of this. So they had discretionary money. So it changed the market a lot. There wasn't a lot of money coming in for, like, new stuff. They weren't buying it directly off the newsstands. They really wanted, like, the older, like, the vintage comics. And so that's where we saw <clears throat> the market change. And they brought me in to just kind of, like, really kind of feel that. And it has just exploded. I mean, last year we were in North Carolina we just did a buying trip in Michigan. We're this as of this Friday, I'll be for a little over a week in the Southeast, uh, North Carolina. We're going into Virginia, South Carolina, Georgia. And then I get a I get back. I'm here for a week and then we're flying out to California because there's some more collections to pick up out there. So I'm going right. I love to travel. So I'm getting to do that and then coming right back to just kind of travel even more. Yeah. It's a ton of fun. Are people reaching out to the company? Like, Hey, I've got this collection. Will you guys come look through it? Or are you doing like American Pickers shit where you just show up at places? Are you buying from other retailers too? (laughs) We have to source our leads of course. And I get, I manage our influx. And so I see everything that comes in 
And I have to make a determination whether it's going to be viable, if it's something that we can turn over uh, to make profit. So it it's a balancing act because there's definitely stuff I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. I really want to, I really want this collection, but you know, that's way outside of our reach. I, it's not something that's going to be good for us, but right. I really wish that we could just drive through towns and, you know, uh, take a road trip and just, right, you right. know, <laughs> so how, how big, if I called you mm-hmm. and I'm like, Hey, I got, 200 comics you're not gonna you're not gonna waste your time with me right it has to be like a you're talking about sizable or it has to be collections and i it has to be substantial so that collection and i've picked up a collection of like 200 books but those books were like the first appearance of the silver surfer first galactus first black panther you know what are called key issues in the business. And these right. are books that either have a first appearance, a major story arc, or some type of plot device or piece of art that is substantial that collectors are going after. So is, is there a book <clears throat> that's come out in a, Oh man, hold on. <clears throat> that's come out in our lifetime. Cause when we hit 10, I had, what was it, East Bay or something like that, comics where I clicked, or not clicked back then, mm-hmm. like I wrote on this form, Yeah. every month I want you to send me these. And every month in the mail, I just got this big ass box of comics. <laughs> yeah. And they would bill me for it. Yep. And being that age, I'm like, oh, these are going to be worth so much money someday. And it turns out just like football cards, baseball cards, except for Pokemon. Right. Like all, all that stuff is worthless. And maybe 10 years ago, I was like, I've had them in these shoe boxes for years. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just going to get rid of them. I had nothing that was worth more than like 10 bucks. Yeah. Is there anything that is sought after that's more modern? We would have picked up as, as kids that ended up being like, Oh wow, that's a big deal. This is worth a thousand bucks or more. Yeah. Yeah. So the, mm, during the nineties, this was the comic boom. Yeah. So this is where comics were hot. You had some of the best artists working at the big publishers. And then all of it started to change because the big artist, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri, all of these guys end up leaving Marvel and then they go to image and image, image changes the, the game. Shit. Yeah. Image was, was my Im- thing when I was a kid. <laughs> so image changes the game and Marvel and DC have to either increase output or increase their creative output. So everything is overprinted. There's a f- influx of a lot of comics in the market. X-Men number one, which was uh, Jim Lee and Chris Claremont on that book. Claremont writing Jim Lee art. That book was, the, it still holds the record as the most printed comic book in history. It's well over a million that were printed. And so anytime that you see those, I've seen them go for about 20 bucks, but I could easily find them in the dollar bin. But 
outside of that, it wasn't until after the 2000s for modern books that you started to, you started to see some substantial characters kind of start coming out of like the Marvel, the House of Ideas and stuff like that. Uh, Miles Morales is the one that everybody's chasing right now. And his first appearance was in Ultimate Fallout number four. And Miles is the book. I've seen that book, especially grade in, reach the thousands. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. I think That's that cool. book is either, it's either, I think it's 2014, but it's either 2011, 2014. I believe it's 2014. Was that like a limited edition crossover no. series? Or was that no. an actual, what, what It was an what event book. Ultimate. Uh, yeah. Okay. It was a short mini series. And okay. we get... Okay this version of spider-man and funny enough especially for retailers that i've talked to they had overruns of this book it didn't sell it didn't sell for months maybe even years some some have found new old stock in their back rooms of just boxes of ultimate fallout but (laughs) people are still chasing this book especially now that the movies have come out yeah he's just a super popular character and for me, I have a copy that I got through a collection that I purchased for myself. This was before I was working um, for Midtown. And a friend of mine sold me his collection, and this book was in there. And it is what I consider a grail for me. It's just a book I'm going to hold on to for a very long time. It's just a, a book I treasure. It's one that is my long-term hold. I don't plan to ever get rid of it. So, Is... Uh... Spider-Man specifically your favorite? Yeah, always has yeah. been. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Yeah, me too, I've been, I mean, the reason I got into comics is because I wanted to be a comic artist. I was an art student and I was the AP art student. And this is what, you know, especially when we were in high school, this is what people knew me for. And my goal was to be a sequential artist and work in comics. Life had other plans. And I have, I still have my very first portfolio essentially my sketchbook that my grandfather helped me like hobble together and it still has it has early spider-man drawings in it i still have it yep yep so i've been a spider-man fan since five or six years old you i think posted in the last month or two that unless i'm you know how memory can be yeah that you got to see or purchase an amazing fantasy for number, work. Was yep. it number 12? Mm-hmm. Is that, is that right? Amazing fantasy 15, 15. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was that a moment for you? Oh, the books that have gone through my hands, especially within this last year have been, it, it, it's been nothing short of biblical for me <laughs> in that I drove uh we get a call this lady she was a house cleaner or or home home organizer and she says hey i've got these comics and i've heard this before hey i've got these comics and i've got x y and z i said okay well send me some pictures let's let's see and she starts sending me pictures and one of the books that was in there was a fantastic four number one and I can't believe it. I'm like, oh, wait a second. And we further the conversation and it turns out, and this is one of these, you would never expect it to happen. And you never believe the stories, but this is an actual, uh, 
this was found in an attic. They were cleaning the house. This guy's wife had passed away and she was somewhat of a hoarder. And she had purchased a bunch of comics during the 60s and may have read them and all of this. And so I drove two and a half hours just with everything happened within a 48 hour time span. She called me. We got the pictures. I made the discussions and we got together and I shot up the next day and there it was in the box and we're going through and we're talking numbers and everything. And yeah, walked away with a fantastic four number one and a whole justice league one, two, and three. Uh, What else was in there? There was a bunch of great stuff and it was literally just sitting in an attic and she, the only reason it had come to us is because she started going through, she saw all these like black trash bags coming out and people were getting ready to throw this stuff away. She says, hold on a second. Let me take a look at what's in there. And she says, oh, these might actually have some value. So she called us and said, hey, I, this is what I've got. What can we do? So that was fantastic. Were, yeah. got They the, were in the trash. Yeah. They were getting ready to head <laughs> to the trash. Yeah. Insane. That's, that's um, the, yeah, the Amazing Fantasy came through. That was just to see that book is uh, still, still, it just, X-Men number one, I got to hold. That was one that we picked up in Pennsylvania. What else? Avengers number when, one, I picked up recently. Yeah. When, when you get these sought after books, do they generally sit? for a couple months before somebody picks them up or do these sell immediately it depends we have we are working on something right now and it is a situation where we're moving a lot of how do i describe this so anything under like the 500 hundred dollar mark that's much easier to sell now when you get into the three hundred thousand one million dollar mark that's a whole different type of customer and that customer is much more rare, but we're moving in that direction because we want to attract those type of buyers. And a lot of the books that we've been picking up, especially like these blue chip key books, we've been kind of holding on to for right now, but those are getting ready to make their way into our stores and on and online as well. So do you have a multiple retail locations? We have three, Oh, retail locations okay. within the city. And then we have an outlet location in Astoria, Queens. Yep. Dude. And heroes and dragons just can't stay in business. In Columbia. <laughs> like, well, I've actually developed a, uh, a friendship with the new owner and heroes did a, a bit of changing hands and heroes of course was the store that I grew up in. And oh, yeah. that was my first comic book shop you know boozer shopping center yep it went from boozer <laughs> then there was a series of robberies that had happened at manifest and tapes which is right next door which is the record yeah, shop. yeah and then they moved to a a location further down and at the time from my understanding chris foss the original owner was getting out of that business And so it turned into more of like a used bookstore and they had kind of shrunk down everything that was happening with comics. Chris ends up selling to my now friend, Jorg. Jorg buys the business, brings it back to Boozer. Well, it 
just kind of takes off and people fall back in love with heroes and dragons is this currently yeah and so as of as of today it's in boozer again no no so he had in boozer and the thing is is there was such a response to him bringing heroes and dragons back to its former glory he expanded all within the course of a few years so quickly that he outgrew the space and so he moved it further down if you remember where fuddruckers was He's yeah. in a space right beside that area where there was a circuit city okay. across the street and all of this. I forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I circuit think it's Bush city. River Road somewhere. Yeah. In that area. Yeah. 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 And so he's expanded and has a huge footprint. And I go back and we talk business and, you know, catch up and everything. Yeah. I make a stop into there okay. every single time I'm in town. I thought it was gone. No. So now Columbia has that and Firefly. So, yeah, Firefly does more gaming. We've right. got Heroes. There's a new toy store called LT Toys run by, and I love this story. Uh, the more I delved into it, this was LT Toys moved into the former Heroes and Dragon spot that York occupied in Boozer Shopping Center. The kid, it's he and his dad that run the business. The kid is 15, 16 years old. They had started at the flea market and the kid is pretty much, he's the businessman of the whole thing. They were doing right. so well at the flea market. They ended up moving to an actual brick and mortar location. I thought that was just awesome. Yeah, and super cool. yeah, so they got that. They have scratch and spin, which is in West Columbia. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I always forget about that place. I think that's it is for is that comics? silver yeah. city. Is Silver City still there? No. That's gone. Yeah, Silver City had moved to one of the best buildings ever, but it wasn't yeah, it great was so for cool. comics. In such that, a cool building. Yeah, it was like an old Hardee's or something. <laughs> yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah, I think it was an old Hardee's. And she ran it, and then it ended up closing. I still think, if I remember right, unless the building has been acquired it still had like batman stickers on the front of it and superman stickers yeah where it used to be yeah silver city no longer yeah if well not if in my head comics died but i'm also stuck i'm always stuck like five or ten years yeah in in the past you know when i <laughs> it sounds like it's doing really well now do you oh, think yeah. that like the Marvel cinema and all that stuff has just kind of kicked comics back in or yeah. is yeah. your store mostly comics or is it comics and toys? And we have a little bit games? of everything. Okay. Yeah. So going back, you go back to the nineties and everything's hot. You know, there's like the death of Superman. There's these new Aunt like May. foil covers Aunt, image. Yeah. Forget the death of Aunt May. Yep. And everybody thinks, and they're buying up all of these comics, especially like the death of Superman stuff. And I, I saw a video recently and it's during this time and they're like, I'm going to hold on to this and this is going to be my kids college yeah, tuition. Exactly. Yeah. And those burnt, those books end up in the dollar bins all the time. But towards the end of the nineties, the bubble pops and that's it. Comics die. Marvel's filed for bankruptcy. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Well, comics endure. Then we get 
the first Iron Man. Actually, it's well in the '90s we had the Batman movies, but in the early 2000s we get the first Iron Man movie, which helps set the pace for what will later become the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And from there, it just expands. People are into superheroes. I think it's a little bit overdone now, but we're in a place where we have so much material and everybody's seeking out like the source material. So comics have just kind of risen like a phoenix and have captured public attention again. And it's not just for kids. There are plots and storylines and character developments and so many different avenues of what comics are, not just the big two. There's independent publishers that are, you know, bridging the gap. Then you have other stories like Mouse that centers around the Holocaust. And then you have other stories that are out there, of fantasy novels, Wind by James Tynan. You know, there are all these other facets to comics other than just superheroes. And that's what has attracted people, A, to the medium, and then the advent of, you know, with film and television kind of stepping in and creating these universes where you have, like, The Walking Dead or you have the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All of these, even video games, are getting their their due because they've been the breeding ground for ideas and... how do I explain this for ideas and properties that have just kind of been like secondary and now are there at the forefront because in some respects more uh, the Hollywood has gotten stale, you know, they're rebooting this franchise or they're telling the same old stories. It's not going anywhere. So where do they go? You go to the comic books, you go to the video games, you go to the gaming aspects of, these properties and now they're reaching into this well of ideas and just expanding upon that. I got one memory that stands out from heroes and dragons and I looked it up cause I wanted to make sure I got the year right. Okay. So the Phantom Menace oh, <laughs> came yeah. out in 1999. Yeah. That's the year. That's the year I graduated. You were a year after. Yeah. Right. Year 2000. 2000. Yep. This is when it was still in the spot Mm -hmm. next to manifest. Yep. And I was just in there looking around at stuff and this older guy, who knows? He wasn't a teenager. He was thirties. He could have been forties. This is a memory from 25 years ago, (laughs) but he was talking to one of the guys that worked there about Phantom Menace And he was like, that last scene at the end when the chancellor was was talking to Anakin and he kind of looked over at him. I think something's going to happen with that. And I was like, like, dude, you miss you don't know who that is. (laughs) Like, I was amazed like this adult could watch this movie and miss like the fact that that's the emperor, mm-hmm. like you have to know that yeah. going into this movie or you miss, you know, what, 75%. And I was just like, yeah. oh. like, I don't know if this guy just kind of came in off the street <laughs> or maybe he'd never seen star Wars before, but for some reason, anytime I think of heroes and dragons, I can picture that like play out in my head. Yeah. Of this guy being like, Oh, I think, <laughs> I think they're trying to tell you something. And I was just like, Okay. I remember okay. being kicked out of Heroes and Dragons. 
<laughs> yeah? Yeah. Being, so, being rowdy? So Wizard Magazine, which was like the comics publication in the mid-90s. that They closed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wizard yeah. now does, they have uh, what is called Wizard World, and it's a convention circuit that they created. And the magazine is defu- has been long since defunct. But Wizard during this time did a scavenger hunt. And you had to fill in all of this information. And me and two friends, I think, it, honestly, I think it was my best friend that lived across the street and then my brother. And we convinced his mom to take us to Heroes and Dragons because we thought, what is the best resource to get all these answers? We'll just go to the comic shop and start looking for all of this stuff. And I think it was Chris Foss. He says, because we were asking all these questions. He says, this is not a library. If you guys aren't going to buy anything, you need to leave. <laughs> I'll never forget it, but it didn't deter me. I still, you know, I think we tried, but we didn't make it through half of that scavenger hunt for the answers that they needed. Let's. All right. You want to talk about. Let's talk about New York. Okay. I've never been. Yeah. I've I've driven on some bridge that gives you a really good view of the city. Yeah. But I've never been into it. Uh <clears throat> I've never been anywhere in the the state minus I was driving to Connecticut. Okay. So whatever that is, that's where I was. I was there for 15 minutes. (laughs) I like looked out and I saw it and I was like, cool. My, my brain thinks of New York as law and order SVU. (laughs) Like, or I don't know, like Spider-Man, you know, the, the games, the movies, and then what I hear from friends and then what I hear from friends is always very different when it's people that grew up in that area mm-hmm. or people that are 25 and they're going there for the first time and they yeah. grew up in Nebraska. Right. So had you been to New York previous to moving nope. to New York? No. Nope. Okay. So you so, got married and you were just like, I, I got to get to New York. No, no. So what happened with the job that I had at the time, the only way that I was going to be able to make the transition work is I had to work in my particular role for at least a year. So my husband and I did long distance for about a year and a half to almost two years. So I was still living in Charleston, South Carolina at that time. And so I was commuting. We would, I, every couple months, uh, I'd come visit him. He'd come visit me, vice versa. Holidays, all of that. And I was visiting during that time, but I had never, you know, outside it, of that, it. I'd never been to New York ever. But you knew it was your final destination. Yeah. Like, funny enough, somebody, there. when I finally made the announcement that I was moving to New York, somebody reached out and said, I knew that you were going to do this. You had been talking about this since high school. So obviously had it was you? in my plan at some point. 
Yeah. Had you forgotten that you had said that? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I had no clue. And I guess maybe it, it had been, but here I was and, you know, again, life had different plans and then everything started to kind of fall into place. He had gotten his internship. Uh, I was working to get up here and landed the job. Uh, we get up here. We got our first apartment. It was very much a hallway of an apartment. That's how narrow it was with uh, two, three rooms in it. Yeah, it was it was small. And yeah, and then been here, geez, since 2019, I think. Yeah, because I had been here a year or so. No, no, no. I take that back. About a year and a half? No, almost a year. And that's when the pandemic hit. And then everything shut down, which was crazy. So I had just gotten into New York and then everything changed. So from from Charleston to New York. Yeah. So what's, what's the best thing that you like specifically mm-hmm. in comparison to South Carolina? And then uh, the one thing that... That might be... Do you hear the sirens? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that for you? That's very New York. (laughs) Perfect timing, ambulance. Perfect timing. That's very New York. So so best like and dislike, but specifically compared to how different it is from where you grew up. So I love the energy of New York. I love being able to have access to a lot of different cultures, people, events, things to do, which is great because there's plenty of time in the Southeast that you're going to spend kind of like staring at the walls going, what do you want to do today? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. But yeah, what I dislike about New York is that it is utterly inconvenient. Everything about New York is inconvenient because travel, especially to go five miles. Now, mind you, I live in Brooklyn for me to go five miles to get into Manhattan, a particular location in Manhattan, five miles should take you what? 20 minutes max in a, in a car. At max, like 10. Yeah. 10 minutes. Take me an hour, an hour to get anywhere. Is that counting the train? Yeah. You want to, you want to take the train an hour. You, if you're in a car, it may take 48 minutes. Sometimes, but it may be the reverse because the traffic is so dense. My 35 minute drive in the mornings, because I work in the opposite direction. My office is in Long Island. So my 25, 35 minute drive is sometimes well over an hour just to get to work in the mornings. But makes the trains, hmm? what makes the trains take so long? Do they not constantly run? Like they may be constantly running, but either they're on a delay somebody's been hit by a train <laughs> which happens more often okay. than not there oh, is a track misalignment all of these things yeah okay. sometimes it's just so you can't rely on it no no and the buses are worse yeah thank goodness we have a car that i get to drive and i drive to long island for work but outside of that if i'm driving in the city sometimes it's an utter nightmare utter nightmare you have to plan accordingly you're going to lose an hour either way you're going to spend two hours in the car round trip every day you gotta go to work you just assume that here's two hours yeah Yeah. i noticed that in lexington sometimes 
And it was part of the reason why I was like, I got it. I jumped back and forth Mm -hmm. between Colorado and Columbia a lot. Yeah. But the most recent times I've been in Columbia, I was in the Lexington area and it would be same thing. Like probably not as bad, but at certain times a day, like I was working at the GameStop in Sandhills. Right. And so at two in the morning, that would be like a 25 minute drive. Easy. Not not speeding, yep. just just with no traffic. But it would sometimes take me an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half just because of that highway would be backed up. Yep. 26. And then to go down. Uh, man, that that main Lexington road. Two seventy eight Highway One, maybe Highway One Sunset Boulevard. It would take me twenty five minutes to go like two miles, yeah, just because of the traffic. Yeah. And I was like, man, I, I just want to go back to the town I live in. Here is so small. Mm-hmm. There's if if you get like three cars in front of you, you start to complain about the traffic. Right. It's like, Oh my God, (laughs) what's happened to this town. Right. Got to move somewhere smaller. I, I realized that once I wasn't spending two hours in the car, which most of my life in Columbia, I kind of grown used to that. Yeah. If I got to go to the DMV, if I got to go to the grocery store, if I got to go to the post office, that's half my day. Mm hmm just because it's going to take that long. Yep. And here I realize I'm not spending that time doing that. That's great. But then I realized, Oh, that's, that's time. I could also do something else. So I gained like hours of my day to like play video games. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, like I'd much rather play video games than drive my car. So oh, this right. is, this right. is excellent. Is there a trade off that, living in new york is the the benefits of it are so cool and so enjoyable that you don't necessarily mind that traffic or does it still like every day are you like grumbling like oh my god here we go <laughs> every day i'm uh, every day i'm grumbling when it comes to traffic <laughs> anytime okay. okay i i had a friend or i have a friend he's older gentleman he lived in new york for 25 years he was here through the 70s, 80s, <clears throat> and lived in the area, a very prominent area now called Brooklyn Heights, which is right right across the water from the city, Manhattan. His version of how he enjoyed living in New York was, as he said, to have one foot in the country and one foot in the city. That's be able to straddle that line. And I never understood it until I lived here that for us, we love to just get in the car and we'll just go. There's so much to explore. We find new places, you know, about a month or two ago, we were, we just got in the car on a Sunday and went up to New Haven because it's about an hour and a half drive and then just explored parts of Connecticut in that area. Uh, Let's see. We went to... When we got Did you engaged, go to the Pez Museum? That, what's that? Did you go to the Pez Museum? No, no. Okay. <laughs> I that sounds stop fun. There and that Haven. sounds really fun. Yeah. I would definitely do that. The Pez Museum. <laughs> We've, you know, we Salem, Massachusetts isn't far from here. 
So we went up, we got the invite from a friend of mine and spent like a good 48 hours in Salem in October. Loved it. Loved every minute of it. We've gone, uh, my cousin and her husband live up the Hudson. So they live in a town called Beacon, which is kind of like a little artsy area. It's beautiful up there. We go up there. We just did a day trip a couple weeks ago and just spent the day. We went into a vineyard the first part of the day and then just exploring the rest of the afternoon. It's all new for us. I mean, we had vacationed there for a week uh, the year before, but we're getting to see a bunch of places we've never seen before, and it's all brand new to us. So we're always constantly finding new areas because of the Southeast. I know the Southeast like the back of my hand. I've been yeah. everywhere in the Southeast, Done all the way down yeah. to Florida, vacationed in Florida for years. My grandparents lived there, spent plenty of time in Georgia, Savannah, Atlanta, always in in North Carolina, I have tons of friends there. So I've done the Southeast. I've seen all of the Southeast. So now to kind did of you explore go, up here, it's a whole different experience. Did you go to Savannah for school? I I had plans. That was the goal. But okay, yeah. Uh, what happened is my parents couldn't afford it. It's expensive. I yeah. can't imagine how much it costs now. Oh, man. I just knew it was expensive. And I really wanted to get into their. It was my first choice school. And I really wanted to get into their sequential art program. And it just didn't work out. And so I went into the workforce. It wasn't I didn't go back to school until I was like 25. Is was Savannah College of Art and Design, right? Yeah, that's what it's called. Is yeah. it still considered the top? Yeah. Art school? And I think yeah. that a lot of what has come out of there was a lot of game developers actually started coming out of Savannah. Supposedly that that is the school to go to for that curriculum. That I is wish just... I had learned to do that, man. Yeah. Like instead of like I went to college, mm-hmm. I did biology. It's whatever. Like yeah. it's useless. It's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I lived in New York, I'm sure I could find a job related to that field. But mm-hmm. out here in the country, like maybe I could be like a horse vet. Like that would probably be like a sought after job out here, yeah. but yeah, the game development thing, like I could just do it home in my room mm-hmm. and like, I mean, no excuse. I could learn how to do it. I could still do it without having yeah, gone to school course. for it, but yeah, I wasn't doing anything else from 18 to 25 that was noteworthy. Like right. it would have been nice to have done something like that, but that wasn't even on my mind at that age. Right. Like I feel like I was mature in certain ways but then like just wildly immature in terms of like future plans for future me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like the response. I shouldn't have had the responsibility to make my own decisions about school at 18. No, that should have been my, my parents. They should have just sent me somewhere mm-hmm. and been like, you know, this is 13th grade. Like you have no choice. You, you got to go. And you got to graduate. Yeah. I, I, I mean, up until that point, especially during that same age range, I, I wasn't doing anything. I was, I was skateboarding a lot. I thought I was going to do something with that, got injured. And then that all kind of fell apart. And I was just kind of floating from job to job. I wasn't making any type of headway in my own life. And then the people that I was spending time with, they were all in college. And I had this core group of friends and then everybody started leaving because they were either chasing their degree, their job in future or something else, or they were studying abroad. 
And so everybody started to leave. And then I kind of got left behind because I wasn't doing anything. And I started to realize that. And I was also in a pretty bad spot um, myself. And I was looking around going, what am I doing with my life? And so I had to make some changes. That's one of the reasons why I ended up going to school. And that's how I landed the job that working for the production company, all of that. A lot of it changed once I started seeing people doing something that had focus, had purpose, where I was just, you know, drinking all the time and not doing anything. You still drink? No. Are you, are you like occasionally like, Oh, okay. So no, occasionally no, we'll go out and have cocktails, but no, it was, yeah, I'm not afraid to talk about it. It was something I'm not, it, I was an alcoholic for a very long time, but not to the point that you have to like avoid you, you got it under control to the point where you can go. Yeah. 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 Cause I was was literally living in five points and the bar, my favorite bar was across the street. I just go with my buddy at the time. Go and get tanked and stumble back home. And what bar was it on every every week? What bar was that at the time? What was your favorite? Okay, is it yeah? Is it still there? Yeah, still there. Is it still? Wow. Yeah, five points is definitely not the same though. (laughs) No, it's not at all. That once the corporations moved in, they killed the whole entire vibe of that whole entire. Starbucks killed it, man. Yep. Like, (laughs) yep. It's nice that it's there. I guess. I mean, I got. I got my Starbucks right here, but it, it killed the vibe. And then yeah. what was that? We had the, that little like uh the store jo- uh, alternative. alternative. Yeah. Oh, the, there was that. That was like the Wiccan store, right? Yeah. But then there was the uh, Superior Feet. Yep. Remember Superior that Feet Playhouse. That would sell like like spiked collars and stuff in yep. 1995. Yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah. All that stuff just, <laughs> just left. Is there a fear in New York? Like when you, when you walk out of your house and you don't go immediately get in your car? Like, no. Okay. No. So is that bullshit or are there places in New York that you could go where you definitely would feel yeah, like it, I shouldn't? That is ever present. I walk out of my apartment here this is pretty much it's a quiet street there's a family of four with two little girls we see them all the time there's and they know their neighbors and this neighbor does a cookout over here they're getting ready to have i think in july we're gonna have like the block party where all the families come out on the street and just hang out there are their neighbors up the way What's in that? the gutter. There's not needles in the gutter. No. As as I mean, it's dirty, but it's nothing like that. I mean, yes, there are. And just to be frank, you know, I go into Manhattan and I was this is I was working for Goodwill at the time. And we had we were we had just come back from a trip because we were setting up the stores pre or post pandemic. We were getting ready to open and we were being dropped off in upper Manhattan. Uh, about 125th street and where we were dropped off to get to the train. So we can get back home is right where the methadone clinic is. And, you know, we're around in the corner and I'm with two of my female counterparts and they, there are two, three guys just tweaking right there. One guy is curled up his arms in the air. And one of my, uh, 
one of my peers, she's like, oh, we got to stop. I said, no, he's here where he needs to be. We just need to keep moving. This isn't the place to come and help. You know, we just, you just got to keep moving. You go to certain areas, it's tougher. But if you're not looking for that type of stuff, it won't bother you. But you just, you always have to remain vigilant wherever you're at. Does, does New York want that image for some reason? Because that, I think stereotypically, if you were to ask somebody from India or, I don't know, Eastern, not Eastern, Western Canada, mm-hmm. like somebody like far from New York. Yeah. That's what their view of it would be. Like, oh, of course. Dirty, drugs, violent, crime. But you know the the intro scene for End of the Spider-Verse? Yes. Like Miles leaves his apartment. Hey, man. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Giving everybody fives, dancing in the street. Yeah. Everybody's having a good time. <laughs> Is that an exaggeration the other direction? Or would you say it's more... Is it more leaning to that or is it just in the middle? There is a sense of community here that I didn't get in the Southeast because there is a fake complacency that the Southeast holds where they'll be nice to your face, but they're going to talk shit behind your back in a split second here. Oh yeah. You know, they'll stab you in the front, (laughs) (laughs) which is better. I I appreciate that a lot more. Yeah. Now here there's, there is a sense of community. You get into like, the deeper end of the boroughs, you get families that have been living in the same spot for 30, 40 years. They know everybody on the block. Our downstairs neighbor has been in this building. I think she said six years, maybe a little bit longer than that, but we'll chat on the stoop outside. I'll walk the dogs and we'll chat and she's talking, Oh, this is Camacho. And he does this around the neighborhood and this, that, and the other. And then, she knows X, Y, and Z, you know, here. So that isn't, I mean, it may be an exaggeration, but it's not crazy. There are places where you, in the area, there's this sense of community and like the the cultures here are very, very deep and they run very, very deep. You know, we've got like South African people that, uh, South African families and West Indies uh, further up in this area. And they hold their parade and all of this stuff. And it's great, this sense of community and culture. And then they just had the Puerto Rican Day Parade in Queens. There's just this whole type of sense of community that doesn't get touched on, I think, with a lot of what you see in like the media and movies here in New York that you didn't get in, I didn't get that in Columbia, South Carolina. Because if you were different, if you were other, you were always kind of looked at like, mm, should you be doing that? It, you just kind of, you know, you stood out, you know, in a, in always, and sometimes not in the best way. It was because you the, were being othered. The only time I would say there was any sense of community was either with that mid late nineties punk scene that we had in Columbia oh, yeah. or that like the skating crew. Yep. But this, the skate crew for me was just the kids from the high school. Yeah. I wasn't at the parks all day. So I'm sure that you guys met a lot of other kids from other schools. Yeah. Um, but I know that 
Do you remember that venue on Rosewood with 2758? 2758. That little, that little one room mm-hmm. venue. Yep. Like, I would get a sense of community. And then as soon as I noticed, there'd be like a skinhead like causing a fight. And mm-hmm. it would be like, oh, well. Yeah. I guess never mind. Yeah. There was always maybe the South in general, but definitely where we grew up. And it might be that fake complacency that you were kind of talking about Mm -hmm. where, Oh, I'm feeling like these are my people. And then as as soon as you feel that something like slaps you in the face and you're like, Oh no, these aren't, these aren't my people. (laughs) Never mind. I think that you had to take, you had to have like deep roots with the people that you were hanging out with. And that helped expand your worldview because that was the punk scene in the people that I was hanging out with the skaters, the skaters led me to the punk scene. And then that put me in different places, you know, where you'd venture and go see shows and then you'd see people that you knew skating did the same thing, you know, Oh, we're going to Atlanta. Oh, corn lives in Atlanta. You know, he's a photographer, but we're going to see him. And then, you go to Charlotte, you're in Charlotte. Oh, such and such lives over here. Let's go skate with them. You know, and it started expanding because you're meeting all of these different people. For me, that was always the the caveat that made it so much more interesting because I wanted to know these people and what their lived experiences were and how they kind of operated in the world. You know, it's the same thing. Like we go down to Charleston all the time. And then we had this guy, I think his name, his nickname was Couch because he lived on a couch at the skate at the skate park and so at the park hang, yeah yeah we go hang out with couch and then he was running one of the first skateboard shops in charleston you know it started to just start moving people around and then seeing what this person's doing and then they come visit you all of these things kind of start to expand but it's all based around that that core group that you establish early on do you do you feel like that part of either either the skate culture or the punk culture has died. I don't know because though they went hand in hand for me. And when I started to kind of drift away from that, it just all kind of, all of those doors kind of closed. So I don't, I wish I had a better answer for that, but I don't. Well, if if you, if you, had you know that moment in your life and then you got interested in other things yeah that's that's how shit's supposed to work i'm always amazed by people that liked something when they were 15 and now they're 45 and that's still yeah the thing it's like holy shit man like (laughs) how like not as a negative thing but almost like an impressive you love this thing so much that in 30 years of being into it you haven't lost interest. Right. Correct. I go through like five years of this, five years of this. It's just, it's always kind of just progressing or moving because most stuff isn't producing enough or changing enough Yeah. to keep you interested Correct. because eventually it's like, Oh, I've, I've, like you said about the South, I've seen this, I've done this. Like I've been yeah. here for 30 years. Like there's mm-hmm. not much more. You're not going to take me to Beaufort. And I'm going to be like, oh, whoa, yeah. this is totally yeah. different. Exactly. Like, no, it's, I, it's Buford. Right. You're going to get what you get. 
and it's just going to be it's going to be your level uh, your level of excitement diminishes over time yeah because it's diminishing returns because you're doing the same stuff all over and over again especially in the south i just got to a point where especially being able to kind of see and compare and contrast everything that happens here and versus down there you know life does move at a much different clip up here it's much faster where you go back down to the south and then i realize there are these people that still, I still have friends in the Columbia area, not to admonish Columbia, and they're doing great things there. <clears throat> but at the same point, I just see them, they're an accountant, they're real estate, they're, you know, pushing a pencil. Yeah. And I just think about, is this the thing that you dreamed that you would be doing? Did you go into life saying, you know what, I'm going to be an accountant someday i don't know I just... so you you mentioned earlier that your job with the production company was your dream job yeah how how long did it take for you to realize this is not my dream job it was so i had i got laid off on labor day i i love my job so much i was in on my day off i was working on a spot for i was working on a commercial spot for a video game like rental truck you could hire it for like birthday parties oh, and the kids get yeah. yeah yeah we yeah. used to have that come to GameStop. yeah and so i was working on a commercial spot for that and i was working on my day off and my boss he says hey can we have a chat i said sure no problem and they said hey we have to lay you off we just this is just where we're at totally understood no bad blood and to get back into the industry i either had to move and i didn't have the funds to do that or i'd have to go into like the news media type mm -hmm. of work which right. it's it's very cut and paste it's very is what it is there was no creative element to it and i just did not want to go that route and so okay. to even work freelance i just didn't have the means to make that happen even to I, get crew jobs i misunderstood you earlier i thought that you said you got what you thought was your dream job. Like you got the job in production and then realized that you, you hated it or you got disillusioned with it. You, no, you were happy I, with it all the way through, all the way through. And then the oh, recession okay. hit and I lost my job, but okay. then trying to just establish a career in film and television in the Southeast was just very, very tough. Cause if you weren't working for production company, you had to work for the news or you had to get a crew job, which I didn't have, the funds or anything to make happen and that that's where I really kind of became disillusioned with it. So I said, you know what, I'm going to just try something else. And so I landed a job and was working in retail and then, you know, got to New York. My number one memory of you was being in that photography room in the art wing yeah and you were sitting at this massive desk that looked like it was a like an airplane cockpit <laughs> right and there's dials and knobs and sliders and i was like what is this like why is this in the school what are you doing and you're like this is a video editing rig yeah and this thing in my head, and maybe you have a better memory of it than I do, 
this thing was monstrous. Oh, right? yeah. Wasn't it like, I don't know, six feet long and like three feet deep? Yeah, it, it was it was giant because it doubled as that space because there was the there was the dark room. And then there was like this room that kind of was also Miss Fritz's office. But as soon as you walk, because there was a big window right there on the left when you walked in <laughs> and along this it. wall, we had mixing board, sound engineer, playback. We had the, I think, a tube television that we could yeah, play everything. It was a back shitty, on. shitty. Well, back then, probably it was a normal TV. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, we had massive no. cameras that we were using as well. And I will never forget that I think the guy's name was Steve that they had brought in and he was just, he worked at Best Buy. I don't even know where they found him to teach this class. And so he would come in on his off shifts that matched up with our schedules. And those are the days that he was there to teach us uh, videography. And so (laughs) that's how I learned was literally on those, like they were probably antique when we were using them, they had to I, have been, you know, but we, if we got a graphics machine, we did all of this stuff. And yeah, I created a number of film projects for the school and all of that. And you taught me, I don't know if you remember this, but you taught me how to use it. Really? And yeah. And <laughs> I started cause ever since I was a kid, like my dream job was, I want to be like a film director. I want to create movies. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Like I want to be like an astronaut. Right. And you were editing skate videos. Yep. When I, and I was like, how are you doing this? And how many different like options do you have? And you mm-hmm. were like, well, I can fade in and out. I can cut, but I can bring in from, all these different sources. So it doesn't, it can be remember mini VHS. Oh yeah. The yeah. little tiny. Yeah. And you're like, I can add music in the background. And I was like, no shit. Like, you can put <laughs> music in here because at that time, I mean, I probably didn't know how people made movies or mm-hmm. made videos of any sort. And we would get an assignment from our English teacher. Like, Hey, I need you guys to do this project. And it was like, Oh, let's make a video. And the first video that we made for some class, it was like me. It was always me and David Sally always. (laughs) And we would just record stuff. And then you showed me how to cut stuff out. Mm-hmm. and how to move stuff around and how to order it. And then the next video that I made, you were like, and here you can put in, you can put music in the background. And I remember one of our videos started with a screeching weasel song. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, this is so cool. Like 11th grade or whatever. And each one, I think we ended up making like four or five, mm-hmm. but each one you were showing me like more and more in depth of like, actually, you can just fade this scene out and, and fade in the new one. And I was like, okay. And you were so ahead of your time because <laughs> look at, look now that there's kids in middle school, high school that are making their living by editing shit they're recording in their backyard yeah, on their home computer or their laptop. And then 
making millions of dollars off of it. I mean, you were you see... doing that 30 years ago, man. Well, 30, <laughs> not 30, but 25, 25 years ago. Years? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, take a, I mean, have you seen the most recent Spider-Verse movie? Okay. I, I went to see it. Okay. And I don't, do you want the story about this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. There was this old theater. Cause again, like I no no exaggeration. I live in a small town. Okay. The, the theater here wasn't showing it. Okay. So I had to go to a smaller town that happened to be showing it. And it's in this ancient single screen theater. Mm-hmm. And the sound is only coming from the front, like speakers in the front, nothing on the walls, no surround, nothing like that. Very quiet. And God, I sound like an old man. There's this group of kids (laughs) just talking through the movie and not talking about the movie and not reacting. They're, they're at Waffle House, right? They're having a conversation. And I don't know, 45 minutes in, I haven't heard, I've seen a, like spider punks been introduced. Okay. I kind of see what's going on, but I can't hear shit. I have no clue. Even if the kids weren't talking, I have a heart. I don't have old man hearing, but I can't hear great. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't really follow this. And so I'm focusing on trying to hear, which is a super weird thing. To, to do in like a movie theater. And then these kids are talking and I don't, I don't ever do this, but you know, when you start to get annoyed, the annoyance builds mm-hmm. on itself mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and there's a point where you can calm yourself down and like bury it. But if you miss that opportunity, it's like exponentially more angry yeah. at every small little thing. Yep. And I like turn around and I'm like, y'all have to shut the, like I'm yelling at these kids and they're like, Oh, what do you mean? We weren't doing anything. It's like, I was like, okay, like watch the movie. And you know, cause they got Mm -hmm. yelled at, they're quiet for 10 minutes. Yeah. And then it starts back up again. So I, I go out and like get the lady that works there and I'm like, you gotta get like these kids out. Like they're just talking. They wouldn't do anything. I waited a couple more minutes. I went back out mm-hmm. and I was like, can you please like, like I haven't heard anything. And there's other people in the theater doing like the shh, shh, but nobody else seems to be complaining. I lost my shit again and I yelled at him again. Ugh. And I like, I walked over to them and I was like, y'all got it. Like, please go like, just leave. And I was expecting someone else in the theater to be like, yeah, get out of here (laughs) or whatever. Like, y'all got to shut up. Nobody said anything. And I was like, oh, no, it's just me. I'm just like the grumpy old man. (laughs) No one has my back. Yeah. I went out one more time and I was like, y'all got to like get these kids out. And she was like, well, we'll we'll walk out there and we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Would you like, you know, some popcorn? <laughs> I'm like, no, right. I don't want popcorn. Mm-hmm. They went out there. I sat out in the front just because it's like to chill out. 
Yeah. Because, dude, who knows what's going to nowadays? Yeah, of course. I wouldn't be surprised one of these kids goes to their car and like, oh, I'm going to kill this dude. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, I got to chill out. This isn't me. I don't I don't send back food at the restaurant. You know, I'm not that guy. She, The lady comes back out and she doesn't say anything to me. She doesn't look at me. It's like five minutes pass. I just leave. I just go outside and mm. my girlfriend and her kids finished watching it. Yeah. And they came back out afterwards. And I was like, what happened? Like, she was like, oh, well, they just kept talking the whole movie. And I was like, did no one else in the theater say anything? She's like, well, people would like shush them. But no one really like said or did anything. Yeah. Dude, I think that that first Spider-Verse movie I mean, it's in my top five movies of all time. Same. I have been waiting years for this sequel. Mm -hmm. And it didn't come to our... We have a decent theater here. So it's like the closest other theater is an hour drive. Oh, yeah. That's commitment. And I was like, I was like, I don't want to drive all the way up there. It's playing at this shitty theater 20 minutes away. Let's Mm -hmm. just go to that. And then that happened. I haven't had the heart to go back and see it because now I have this fear like what's going to happen if yeah. it gets ruined yeah like the whole uh the whole event was just like ruined for me to where it's like uh like it sucks that'll taint it I, absolutely I, I can't think of a sequel or a follow-up to any movie that I would be more excited for Maybe you saw Memento, right? Yeah. Maybe if they made like another, if Nolan made a Memento 2 or yeah. something, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> fuck yeah. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. <clears throat> but no, so I've seen part of it. I don't I don't know what you were going to. Well, where there's gonna a go sequence with in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, going back to, to kids being talented. There is a sequence in there mm. that is a stop motion bit with Lego Spider Man. I that didn't see an- that part. Okay. That was animated by a 14 year old. And the reason he got the job is he did the original Spider Verse trailer in Lego stop motion, uh, stop motion animation. And, and just put it on YouTube. The, yeah. And the producers saw yeah. it and they said, this is fantastic. So he literally has a credit to major Spider Man film now. Because he did that, he that entire sequence in the movie is his. Fourteen that, years old. If we had the internet mm-hmm. when we were in school, the way that I mean, we did have the internet, but not really. No, <laughs> not no. not the way that we have it. Dial now. up. That could have been you. Yep, possibly because yeah. you were making local kids skate videos. Oh, but you were doing credits. You were doing music. Mm-hmm. And what were you mailing out VHS tapes to like birdhouse and shit back then? Like trying I, to get, I wasn't doing that because, uh, at the time I had gotten a job at salties. So I had the biggest credit that I got was I got to do some sound and video for an online skate magazine called switch magazine. I'd written a few articles for them and we got, I got put on the team they got tapped to do 
the video for the Tampa Am. This is 2000. Good Lord. I don't know. Would have been after I graduated. So I'm going to say 2000, between 2005, 2007, somewhere around there. We got tapped to do the Tampa Am video because Tampa, the Tampa skate park or skate park of Tampa spot would produce a video for their Tampa pro and their Tampa am. And so they contacted us and we went out and filmed the entire competition over the course of a weekend. Yeah. That was they the biggest con- credit that I got. They contacted who switch, switch magazine. And I was on the team for switch magazine for a short oh, period. So you stuck around with the skating thing for a long time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Skated all through high school and then into the early two thousands. And then I had a major injury that, killed me yeah but you were still filming and still editing yeah how were you doing your editing in 2004 when you weren't at school anymore was was it some weird so contraption jordan if i remember because we would go to jordan's house and he had his own setup it wasn't as sophisticated as the stuff that we had at school because they had funds but we were buying little like switchers and sound boards. I mean, we had a soundboard that was probably like that big and we were doing all of that in his bedroom. Yeah. We were putting, we were cutting videos together, all of that in his bedroom. Yep. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan and I would film everything and edit and he had, he had a great eye and for sequencing stuff. It was, Oh yeah. I, I was talking to a friend of mine named Adam that I had on this podcast a month or two ago because he was doing band recording. Okay. Back in the same time frame, like mid nineties to early two thousands. And yep. we were talking about how ridiculous and expensive and complicated it was to do that back then. Yeah. And how you were recording onto like a four track onto a cassette tape. Mm-hmm that only had, you know, people that don't know, like four track means you get four inputs. Yeah. So you can only record from four different mics or four different Mm -hmm. sources. Correct. And the, that shitty little thing that would get you terrible sound would cost you $400. Yeah. And now as long as you have any kind of computer, just USB into it and you can make professional. Yeah. Sounding. And it's like, we, man, this really is like old man hour, but like (laughs) we had to, we had to grind as Mm -hmm. like teenagers to go to the pawn shop and buy a, a used like Tascam recorder or a used DAT or, you know, a used bass guitar, yeah, whatever it might be that you needed. You don't need any of that stuff anymore. No. Everything All you need can is, be done. is a computer. Yeah. I mean, when you I don't was even working need the instruments. Yeah. When I was working at the production company, outside of like the cameras and the lights, that was our heavy equipment. When I brought everything to work, I had my two screens, my computer itself. And I did everything there sound mixing, you know, cut, paste, graphics, all of that. It was all self contained. And I just worked right there at the desk. Where had that been, you know, what, five, ten years prior, 
and I've got that large room set up just for video <laughs> right. editing. It's crazy. Crazy. Did you ever come over to the house that Greg and I lived in when Jordan and Hardy were doing the like Sasquatch records no. thing? Mm-mm. Okay, I have this memory where I feel like you were there with them when they were what was the do you remember the name of like jordan's i'll never remember it doesn't even matter his like little punk band that he was doing in like 2000 oh you think in no way jose it may have that's not the band that actually turned into like a real band is it so okay so there was No Way Jose, which was Jordan, Chris Gardner, Aaron Graves, uh, and Thomas. I forget Thomas's last name. Anyways, so yeah, they had, and all of their music sounded like video game music. Was Jordan just screaming his ass off for the vocals? No, there was no, there was no singing in oh, that so band. This is something else then, because okay. I have this very specific memory of him being at our house okay and hardy had our shitty little like four track recorder <laughs> and he was recording like vocals in our living room oh. and at, at the time i was like this is the life like this is the coolest thing ever like we're yeah, like a recording have... studio because we had this place with this massive massive garage okay and when we parked our cars outside and we turned the garage into like a recording studio like yeah. not not a recording studio but like a very ghetto rigged like hey budget dude but people would come over and like record shit and i remember right. hardy ended up putting out like a compilation record label cd Damn. at the time yeah there was the so they had the bat channel that was the first and then they had no way jose they did have other projects in between there because, I mean, uh, Tori Ma, that band started that in Columbia as well, yeah. you know, and Chaz went off with Jordan and then things happened. But, um, yeah, there were so many bands at that point. I mean, hell, yeah, I wanted was. to be in the band at one point. You know, <laughs> I was they named uh, my my claim to fame was that they named No Way Jose after me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What a. How much time you got? We got a little bit longer. Okay. Um, anything that you want to talk about? No. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but like I'm always here. The interesting part is the is the person that I'm talking to. Yeah, you know, of course. Okay. Well, what is it like running a Goodwill? Is oh. It, it, it sounds equally amazing mm-hmm. and equally endlessly frustrating. I had a unique situation because I ran the largest store in all five boroughs. We had 13 stores. That one itself was the largest. It was the flagship. So everything that happened there, I was responsible for. So... And where it was located, 
isn't in the best part of downtown Brooklyn. We we occupied this area, this block, with a number of family assistance, dependent assistance, government assistance programs that are in connecting buildings to us. And so that breeds a whole type of different energy in that area. So it sometimes doesn't always have the best people coming through. And right below us was where the subway platform was. So we had people coming in and out all the time. All day. So the people that I work with, absolutely amazing. Some of the best people I have ever worked with. Dedicated, hardworking. Um, some of them just starting their job or careers, you know, in many different ages from younger people all the way up to people well into their 60s. So the people aspect was wonderful. I loved the boss that I was working for. He made it a, a really great place to work in. But the outside element of the customer base made it very, very difficult. I, you know, it's always the customers. What's that? It's always the customers. Oh, difficult. yeah. I mean, we had our core group of people, which were fine, but there were just all of the outside elements that seemed to pour into our stores, you know, and from people being stabbed in the street to tweakers to plenty of naked people all the time. I, you, I saw it all. Let's just say I saw it all. Running, running a Goodwill is an experience. Uh, a lot of dead people stuff because people pass away and families mm. don't know what to do with it. We got right. a lot of dead people stuff. Outside of that, it's an experience that I had and one I look back on fondly, but there are plenty of elements to it that I don't miss it at all. <laughs> Were there, you know, the reason that I always, well, that's not, that's not true. I don't really frequent very often but when i do go to a thrift store or when i did mm -hmm. more often it's always the thrill of i could find something super cool or something super cheap that these people don't know that they have yeah but i think i'm thinking of when i was 25 and when i and i used to be able to find like some pretty decent stuff there mm -hmm. but now I think with the ease of finding out what is this, like, uh, I don't know. Let's just use video games. You would go into a Goodwill 15 years ago mm -hmm. and it would just be like video games, five bucks. And it would just yeah. be a big ass box and everything was $5. Now I think that, people realize, Oh, some of these games are worth two or $300. And people, I, I think that work at these places are looking this stuff up now. And then they're being like, just on eBay real quick, like type it in. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is selling for 40 bucks. We're yeah. not going to sell it for five. Yeah. has kind of killed the thrill of like some people shop at Goodwill because they need, they need $5 jeans. Yeah, of course. And it still serves that purpose. Yeah. But there was always the like the 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 hunter that was there to find like the cool thing. Is that is that a common practice at yeah. thrift stores nowadays to double check everything that kind of 
I won't I won't speak for the general like thrifting community. It right, I think right. all businesses are run differently. Sure, sure. For us, I'll just give you what I know as an example. With the advent of online shopping, completely changed everything. So if we can maximize the idea is to maximize the donation because people that are making these donations and then the money that is raised are, and that's the thing, a lot of people didn't realize they just, oh, they're making money off of these donations, blah, 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 blah. We were putting people back to work. We were introducing jobs to people who in other circumstances could not get jobs. But there were so many different other programs that we offered that a lot of people never saw. We offered litigation mediation for families going through crisis, job trainings. We had job training centers that had been built. There was a lot of money that was being put into the communities that was directly related to the donations that we were getting. So anything that we got, we wanted to make as much money as possible on the donations. Sure. Mind you, majority of the stuff that we were selling was between one and $10. That's everything that hits the floor. Outside of that, if there were items that were more rare, designer handbags, perfumes, video games, these things, we would take the things that we saw that had some type of value. Those would get stored away and then sent to our online distribution. And so, so the chance of me walking into a Goodwill mm -hmm. and finding a Louis Vuitton zero, 1% yeah. is not going to happen. Correct. Yeah. Okay. It's not yeah. going to make it to the floor. No, not necessarily. I And the thing is, is, the goodwill that I have here is going to be different than the goodwill that you have in Colorado. A lot of people don't know this. So good for goodwill is layman's terms. It's like a franchise. So basically you're paying into the entity to use the name goodwill, but you oh, have okay. to adhere to certain practices and responsibilities that are put through the goodwill name. So the goodwill that operates here has a different operating entity than the one in Colorado, the one in South Carolina, the one in Georgia, and it could be even per town. So the ones that have in Columbia may not be the same ones that are operating in Lexington. That doesn't make a lot of sense, but it that very well could happen. And their policies may be different. I just know for us, all of that stuff, we would have to cross-reference. And there was some stuff, especially with here in the city let's say if we got a designer handbag it ends up being fake and we decide to put it on the sales floor and one of these inspectors comes in and grabs that bag and determines that it is a fake then we get charged and fine for selling fake goods yeah. so there was a risk factor to it all as well that's crazy yeah did did you have any moments that you were there where you found like similar to like the comic thing like Oh shit! This is a this is a ten thousand dollar dress from the eighteen hundreds or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We had um, people just giving that stuff that I, away. They just well, don't know what they have. Or... Yeah, this is one that I don't know how it got past the person that was donating. There were three first print Harry Potter books, and they were signed. And I opened them up because we would books. We got books all the time. And they just go in these bins. And so I just sift through just kind of seeing it. And I saw these books come through. And I'm like, hold on. And I opened them up and they have signatures in them. And I did some referencing online. And I look and it's definitely the signature. And these are from a signing opportunity that happened. It had some 
paperwork and everything. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, we sent those to auction and those came back. I think we sold them for $4,000. Yeah. No one knows that that was donated to you except the person that yeah that donated it correct what happens to joey if joey takes the harry potter books home and puts them on ebay and makes four thousand dollars <laughs> there is a level of responsibility and a that's not the type of person that i am but <laughs> okay I didn't, uh, sorry there i were, used your name <laughs> there were cameras everywhere so we had people that did that I, i'm not going to say that it didn't happen Okay. Uh, if somebody needed extra cash, but it it is against policy. Yeah, it was against company policy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy that someone can dump something outside your store as trash? Mm-hmm. And if you specific, let's say it wasn't even worth money. Let's say it was, I don't something like a spoon. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. you're like, oh, I like the spoon. Like you can't take that trash because now it belongs. Like, does it belong to Goodwill the minute it hits the pavement? Is once there no crosses, in between? Once it crosses our threshold, then we take possession of the item. Yep. If a homeless dude comes into your back lot, mm-hmm. let's say he doesn't have to break in. It's, it's open. Yeah. And there's a donation bag. And he takes something from the donation bag, but you guys haven't taken control of it yet. Mm-hmm. Is he just collecting trash or is he stealing from Goodwill? For us, we didn't, we occupied a block and we were in a building. So the donations would have to cross our threshold. There were times that people would walk into our donation area and just, I watched the cameras. They just scoop up right. stuff and just walk right out with it. Happened but you, all the time. Nobody's enforcing any kind of, no one's going after them for that. It's too, it became too risky. We did have some security that would go and try to recover, but there were instances where that area just wasn't being attended and somebody walked in and just snagged a bunch of, these were shoes that this guy happened to get. But at the end of the day, I would much rather my people be safe than the $10 that we're going to make on the shoe. It just right. doesn't add up. Right, you know? right. And there were situations like that that happened all the time. We got stolen from consistently, but more often than not, I, and I put it out there, especially the people that were in need. I said, if you come and ask, I mean, there's a reason we're called Goodwill. If you come and ask, you need a coat, you need an outfit or something like that. I'll give it to you. It's not that big of a deal. You know, I had numerous people come in more than once and or I'd see them walking. There were plenty of homeless people that came walking. It was frigid. There was this one lady that happened to occupy this area of Brooklyn. And she would walk by. And sometimes it would be uh, 30 degrees outside and she didn't have shoes on. I'd put shoes on her every single time she walked by. They, she'd come by the next day. The shoes had disappeared. But I put shoes on her. I can't let somebody like that just, you know, walk through life or this area, you know, without a basic necessity like shoes. You know, and your your higher ups had no no qualms with that. No, no, oh, I, that's great. Was, that's super. That's super cool. Yeah, as long as I just made I documented it and I just wasn't handing these out, you know, willy nilly. Yeah, if somebody asked for it, I need a sir. Do you have a coat? And it's thirty degrees outside. Absolutely, I've got a coat for you. As long as I so have that, something that fits you, 
it's yours. We sold used stuff at GameStop, mm-hmm. but no way under any circumstances for any reason would yeah. I ever like we would sell candy and stuff. Mm-hmm. No, if I, if I gave that, no, I would have got fired. Uh, that's like, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they're, I mean, they have a bad reputation, but it's, <laughs> it's deserved. You know, they were horrible and stuff like that. It's cool that we would have, uh, I had a guy that got fired for using his, not his employee discount, but we had mm-hmm. like a membership program Okay, that would save you like 10% on used stuff. Yeah. And this guy would use his 10% discount card for other people sometimes. And he got fired and he was forced to pay back the 10% that he saved. And they pulled up every transaction he'd ever used it on. It was hundreds of dollars. And they, they've made him pay this back. But you were allowed to yeah. be like, oh, hey, like, you, you need this. Let me let me give you this. Yeah. Very cool. I don't know if Goodwill has. I feel like I've heard some people like I think like my conspiracy friends be like, oh, Goodwill has this shitty evil side. <laughs> But any company that would allow you to do that, I think that kind of overrides every, every corporate entity has some skeletons in the closet, but GameStop would look at you lost us the potential of the sale. Mm -hmm. And so if, let's say a, a rare game would come into GameStop and you know, you type, you scan it in the computer. It says GameStop gives 10 bucks for this game. I know that this game is worth $300, Yeah, but GameStop doesn't know that. So I take it in as trade for 10 bucks. It comes back out as for sale for 30. Mm-hmm. Like that's what GameStop wants for it. They want 30 bucks. Yeah. If I, as an employee, buy that game with the intent of reselling it, that was against the rules. And it was just like, they would look at the employee discount. Mm-hmm. If it was for me personally to enjoy, they're okay with it. If I was using my employee discount to save 15% to then resell, they would look at that 15% as like, you bought this and it cost us potential profit because you were going to resell it, not play it. They had a problem with that. Mm. That's like, man, Goodwill's out here giving away shoes. Yeah. And, and you're going to like nitpick the reasons why I'm buying something. Mm-hmm. So that would make you just, I mean, I got to the point where I would tell the customer like, Hey, this game is worth $300. Like put it on, don't sell it to me. Yeah. <laughs> like take it home with you and put it on eBay. And a lot of people don't have the patience or they don't no. want to get involved. Yes. And they're correct. like, no, it's fine. And I was like, okay, look, I will buy this game from you myself here's 50 bucks i'll give you 50 bucks for this i would get fired for that too 
Mm. But it's like, well, yeah, like I could use the extra $200. So, right. You know, don't tell on me. I'm going to buy this from you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wild. Absolutely wild. It's nice. It's super cool. Yeah. You know, because they are donated items to to you guys in the first place. Correct. It's nice that they see no harm in let's let's transfer this one donated item to the person that would end up receiving it anyway. Yeah. And let's just call it even. Correct. Instead of looking at it and focusing on, well, we could have sold that mm-hmm. for 10 bucks. Right. So Joey, you lost us $10. You got to go. Like that's, that's great. Right. Yep. All right. Cool. Dude. Uh, I'm, I'm very proud of you for <laughs> Thank you. not getting sucked into, it would have been so easy for you. You did work at the Express for a while, right? Or the Gap? Oh, yeah. 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 For a very long time. You could have gotten sucked into corporate world. You could have gotten dragged into so many different paths. Mm -hmm. You could have ended up doing, you could be filming the weatherman right now. Right. You know? But somehow, all this shit worked out to where you got married. Mm -hmm. You moved out of South Carolina. And now you got a job that you love. Absolutely. Yeah. Dude, I I have none of that. So <laughs> it's just it's so awesome that I don't know if you found a way or if you just saw potential outcomes and chase them down or you're just sitting around and all this just luckily like fell onto you. I wish that was the case. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of people don't see the opportunities when they present themselves. And a lot of people will also talk themselves out. Like, oh, here's, I met this dude that I love, but he's going to be in New York. Yeah, I just can't make that happen. That's too much effort. It's too scary. Yeah. Like, I guess this relationship just won't work out. You were like, no, many people that would think that. I'm going to get to New York whatever way I can. It happens Mm -hmm. to be through goodwill. Yeah. But now you're done with that. And I mean, your job sounds awesome. Yeah. And I'm not even into comics the way that you are. So I imagine for you, it's even, it's even more. uh, Sometimes I have a word I want to use. Yeah, of course. And it's like, it's like right there. (laughs) And then I have to result to just using like a, amazing yeah it's cool we'll use rewarding it's very rewarding yeah (laughs) Yeah. okay so dude i'm glad that you took the time to do this absolutely i I hate hounding people so i always try to leave like if i ask somebody i'll wait months of course before i ask them again because i don't want to be podcasts have this kind of like stereotypical annoying people kind of hate them in Mm -hmm. a way because i guess (laughs) everyone can just Anybody can do this. Oh, yeah. So I yeah, guess yeah. that everybody just does do it. I mean, I guess it gets a little annoying, but I try not to be that person. So I'm glad that we finally were able, were able to, to sit down link and up do schedules. This. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's so cool to. Uh, I see what people are doing through social media, mm-hmm. but that's just like a photo or it's just a caption. Yeah. 
it's cool to know like more in depth like where are you what have you been doing how have things worked out mm-hmm. so like officially like catching up and yeah. you know having that we may not be in person but you know having this conversation having this time to catch up and reconnect after you know what 20 years so yeah that's awesome yeah. Mm-hmm. so i appreciate you taking the time man more than welcome it's been great